Well, today is our last Sunday in our sermon series entitled Living the Resurrection. Uh, we have been in what is also known in the church calendar as the season of Easter tide. And what this is, this is the 50 days, if you will, from Easter to Pentecost Sunday. And this is the time in the life of the church when we are really just having like one big party. So it's as if Easter was not enough uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Christ, uh, all of the Sundays following that in this season, this is the time to continue to celebrate and remember and to think about what does it mean for you and for me to live out the resurrection in our lives today in Macon, Georgia in 2021. Well, to kick us off today, I want to tell you about uh, something that happened to Mark and myself um, a few weeks ago. We were babysitting our granddaughters. Uh, they are ages four and one and a half. Uh, so Mary, my daughter, and son law they had uh, taken a little mini getaway and so we were watching the kids and while we were watching them I said Mark you know let's just park them in the backyard we we bought a sand a sand it's not a sand box it's a sand turtle have y'all y'all you know what I'm talking about the sand turtles uh, who, who's got you got the sand turtle I don't know if it's little tykes or which it is but basically it's this little round plastic green thing with sand in it and then it has this dome shaped top to keep the cats out and the animals out and uh, and it looks like a turtle shell so I said oh we can get a solid 30 minutes of, of like where you and I can just sit here and talk and chill we'll put the girls in the sandbox out in the backyard so we get the chairs, we're ready for 30 minutes of being able to kind of catch our breath. So we put them both, age four, age one and a half, we, it's been a long time since we've parented, put them both in the sandbox with some toys. What happened? <laughs> Well, there was sand in the hair, but but they could they kept fighting over the toys. What whatever Claire had, Ellie wanted whatever Ellie had, Claire, and it was like, oh, this is absolutely miserable. And then I told Mark, I said, oh, I've got a great idea. I said, take the turtle of the, take the top of the turtle, turn it upside down there, and then I got the little sand pail and I put several buckets of sand in the top, and and so he picked her up and he put her in the turtle top, and what do you think happened? No, well, no, we had 30 minutes of glorious bliss of the children playing happily. And so, you know, and I said, now, Mark, I said, I've had classes about child development theory and everything. So, so just know our grandchildren, yes, they, they're still perfect. Don't y'all think my grandchildren? <laughs> I hope y'all think your children and your grandchildren are perfect. I said, this is just the developmental stage. And I said, so what it's called when they're at this age, they're supposed to be doing what's called parallel play. So what that might look like is, you know, Claire is in the turtle top and Ellie is in the turtle bottom, if you will. And they are playing, they're making their own sandcastles, but they're doing it in parallel play, making separate sandcastles. I said, now when they're a little bit older, they'll be able to do what's called cooperative play. So you can kind of understand what cooperative play is. Basically, it's when you can be in the same space, in the same sandbox, and you begin to make a sandcastle together. You began to cooperate with one another. Well, I promise you it was not, you know, just a few days after that, and Mark and I had had a little tiff. We really do sometimes. <laughs> But anyway, we had had a little tiff, and it was over something that was so incredibly life-shattering. I'll tell y'all, it was over, are the blinds supposed to be up in the morning or down in the morning 
in the bedroom. If I, if I, got, if I, if I well, anyway, that, that's the kind of life-shattering stuff we will bicker about. But anyway, I thought we had an understanding that they're supposed to be down in the morning. So we're kind of, you know, we're getting away with each other. And I, and I said, you know, I said, it's just like Ellie and Claire. I said, you and I do great when we're both in our same sandboxes, making our own sandcastles. And I said, but the friction comes when we have to do something. We have to build a sandcastle together. So the title of our sermon today is Playing Nice in the sandbox, playing nice in the sandbox. And now, these two illustrations that I've given you, they're, they're funny, they're comical, they're not terribly life-shattering and, and super serious, but here's the thing that I know, is that when people, human beings, when we are doing common work in a, in a, in a shared space, there is often friction that occurs. Now, I mean, I recently, Mark and I, uh, in our neighborhood, we have an HOA. Have y'all ever been to, has anybody ever been to an HOA, a Home Owners Association, been to an HOA meeting? That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Here we are in a neighborhood trying to live in a shared space, and, you know, everybody's not happy with how the other person is doing, whether it's mowing your yard or fill in the blank. You know, recently um, this week, as I'm sure many of you have, um, the, the news about what's been happening over in Israel and um, in the Gaza Strip, it's just, it's incredibly, incredibly heartbreaking. And, and that is just an example of how difficult it can be when human beings are trying to live and do life in this common space. Jesus, before he uh, left this earth, before, he, before the, his death and his resurrection, he was having a last supper with his disciples, with his best friends, with his followers. And he knew, he knew that his followers would struggle with this very thing that we are struggling with. And so in his last supper, in that final meal that he had with his supper, with his disciples, he was trying to prepare them for this very thing. Because here's the thing about the early disciples. They were about to do one of the most amazing things that has ever happened in the history of humanity. They were about to go out, and we, we learned about this on the day of Pentecost, once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it said that then they began to go out and preach the good news. They're in Jerusalem and Judea and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And, and, and we sit here because of the mission and the message of those earliest disciples. But here's what he knew. They would be, uh, using that metaphor, they would be trying to build a sandcastle cooperatively together. And he knew the very thing that was inside my granddaughters, Ellie and Claire, the same thing that caused Mark and I to have sparks over, are the blinds up or the blinds down? That same tension was going to be something that they would have to navigate. And so he wanted to prepare and equip them in the same way that he wants to prepare and equip you and me as we live out this resurrection. I know sometimes when we think about Peter and James and John and these, these disciples 
struggles, we think of them as kind of like, like they didn't struggle with this. Uh, one of the things that I love about the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament too is they don't sugarcoat it. And we read in the book of Acts about this very thing. And it was, it was Paul and, and Peter, and they had a disagreement. And it says that they sharply disagreed. And in fact, they disagreed so sharply that they ended up parting and going their own separate ways. Still, still fulfilling the mission of the gospel, still fulfilling the great commission, still going into all the world and making disciples, but they couldn't get along to the degree that they could no longer do it cooperatively on the same team together. Wow, wow. Does that not seem relevant to our world and our lives today? So in our message this morning, I invite you, if you're here in person, to pull out your, um, your bulletin. We're going to be working through this passage. If you are following online, uh, we're starting off on J in John 15. I invite you to grab your Bibles. And our, we're working from the message translation today. Um, the message is not a literal translation. It is more of a paraphrase uh, that was done by Eugene Peterson, but I really felt like he capture the heart of this passage. And so let's dig in and let's hear these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples as he was preparing them to live out the resurrection and to be able to cooperatively uh, fulfill the Great Commission to live in community uh, as they were going to be doing life in a shared space, uh, in a shared mission. John 15, verse 9. Jesus is speaking to the disciples in the upper room on the night of his betrayal. And he says, I have loved you the way my Father has loved me. Let's just sit with that just for a second. I, Jesus, have loved you the way my Father has loved me. When I hear that, y'all, it's so hard. Sometimes that those of you who have grown up in the church, you've grown up in church world, you've sang songs about God's love from the time you were three. Um, I think sometimes I need to hear this with fresh ears. And, and it's not, I have loved the world, which he does. I have loved humanity. I have loved those who are far away from God. I have, but it's like, John, I've loved you. Peter, I've loved you. Uh, James, I've loved you. Judas, I've loved you. And then put your name in there. Fran, I have loved you. And this is how I've loved you. I have loved you the exact same way that my Heavenly Father has loved me. I think we just need to sit in that for just a second. He was preparing them to, to be without him. They, he was preparing them uh, for that day when they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that day when they would be going into all the world and, and building these, these communities of faith all around the Mediterranean basin. And he wanted them to be grounded in the knowledge that he had loved them just like he loves me the way the Father had loved him. When you look at this passage in the Greek, that word love there, uh, the Greek is such an amazing language. And, and for those of you that don't know, the New Testament was written in Koinonia Greek, which was the common language there in the Mediterranean basin. Um, 
But that word, the Greeks had multiple words for love. They had multiple words. Um, we just have one. And so when you, when you see love in the New Testament, it, you know, if, you got, if you're on your computer or your phone, just, just Google that scripture and say, what is the Greek word here or something like that. There's great apps out there. I can help you with some of them. But in this whole passage, every time the word love is used, it is a unique Greek word, and it's agape. And I don't know if we've got the slide there. I want to just read this definition to you because it's going to kind of set the flavor uh, for this passage today that we're digging into. But agape love, it is unconcerned with the self, and it is concerned with the greatest good of another. So just hear this right now. Jesus is saying, Fran, you know, put your name in the Lynn, uh, George, um, I have loved you with this, this unselfish love. I'm concerned about your greatest good, just the way the Father felt that way about me. Agape love isn't born out of our emotions, our feelings, familiarity, or attraction, but it is from the will and as a choice. It's a decision of our will. It requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. And so he's saying, this is this transformational love with which I have loved you the same way the Father has agaped me. His next statement there, as he is speaking, he says, make yourselves at home in my love. Make yourselves at home in that love. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this phrase, and it is, you know, and I kind of, so sometimes with a paraphrase, I'm, I'm a little nerdy, a little, you know, I, I like, I don't know, is that true? Let me go check the Greek and find out, and, you know, but, but as I dug down into that word, Eugene Peterson really captures what this is about. Make yourselves at home in my love, and, and the, the King James Version, kind of the version I grew up, it says, um, you know, abide in my love. Uh, I've loved you the way the Father Father has loved me. And then it says, abide in my love. And then the next one is, if you can keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. I think for years, y'all, for years when I hear that, I hear one more thing that I've got to do. Do y'all do that? It says, abide in my love, like it's my command. And so I think, well, okay, if I'm abiding in God's love, how do I abide in God's love? Well, okay, well, I need to have my quiet time. I need to have my devotional time. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to sing song worship songs. I need to go to church. I need to, I need to, I need to. Do y'all ever feel that way sometimes? If I'm going to abide in God's love, well, here's my, here's my to-do list of all the things that I've got to do to make sure I am putting myself in a position to abide in God's love. Now, those things are all wonderful, and we should do them. And they do create that space for God to come and be present with us. But I think Eugene Peterson kind of captured the heart of this. Is Jesus wasn't saying, here's your to-do list so you can abide in my love. He's saying, breathe, rest, relax. Make yourselves at home in my love. This past week, um, we had the Mark and I have three adult daughters, and it just kind of worked out one of those serendipity things where all three adult daughters could be home. Uh, one of my son-in-laws could come, uh, two grandkids. And, and the thing that I hoped when they hit the front door of our house was that they would sense and feel that it, they were home, they were loved. And not that they had to perform or do anything for me to, you know, but, but they could just 
be unpretentious. If life has been hard, that they could just, they could be real about that. If there was something going on, they could be real about that, but they could kind of, you know, take the mask off, relax. And I think that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. When you were living out the resurrection, when you were going out into the world, you are doing life together. You're doing, you know, doing community together. You're, you're, involved in this common mission, you're building your sandcastle together, start with that restful feeling of abiding and just being at home in my love. He goes on to say, he says, make yourselves at home in my love. And then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain intimately at home in my love. He said, that's what I've done. I've kept my father's commands and I've made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose. He said, I'm telling you this, and there's a reason behind why I'm telling you this. And he says that my joy might be your joy, and your joy wholly mature. And this is my command, love one another the way I have loved you. So here he is. He's preparing them to live out the resurrection. He's preparing them for the day of Pentecost, the day that they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they're going to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And, and he's saying, you know, but here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm telling you this. Pay attention. There's a reason. He said, I want my joy to be your joy. I want my, what's inside of me. I want it to be inside of you. I don't know about y'all, but I loved that. I know that here at Martha Bowman, at times we've talked about the difference in joy and happiness. And, you know, well, if I want to have joy, then I need to, you know, be thankful for 10 things. And I need to, you know, here are the things I can do. Don't grumble. Don't complain. It's all kind of, here, here's what I need to do. But, but I don't know why this caught me this week when I was meditating and praying on this passage. Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about your joy. My joy, the joy that I experience every single day, I want that so much to be inside of you. Make yourself at home in my love. Abide in my love. Take your shoes off. I have loved you. I've agape'd you. And I want my joy to be in you. He goes on to say, and, and I'm, just, I'm going to reiterate this, and he says, but here is my command. I want you to love one another just the same way that I have loved you. This is at the heart of playing nice in the sandbox, that we abide, we make ourselves at home in God's love, and then we live out that love, that we agape one another the way that God has loved us. We can't agape others well until we first made ourselves at home in God's love. The 4th century uh, theologian, Augustine, uh, probably one of the greatest thinkers and writers uh, throughout all of church history, and he has influenced uh, so much of our theology and the way we think about uh, Christ and, and all of this. But when he was a teenager, um, he was reading the works of Cicero, and something that Cicero wrote really intrigued him, and it was this. Cicero had observed that people uh, start out in life with the goal, often, of being, of being happy. They set out to be happy. But what he had observed was that more often than not, the majority end up living wretched lives. 
So we're talking, you know, third century, something like that. He's third, fourth century. He's reading this. And, and, it, and it piqued his curiosity, and it made it his lifetime goal to say, why, what is this about? Why, why is this that people set out? They, they don't choose to be wretched, but they often end up in that place. And what he concluded was this, is that human beings are lovers. We are lovers. We are created in God's image. We are created to love. But he said the problem is we either love the wrong things, the things that we are not supposed to love, or we love the right things, but we love them in the wrong order. In other words, God says the most important thing, the greatest commandment, love God, love others. But when we love our, our children, we love our spouse, we love our career, we love our, our, our reputation, we love our not necessarily bad things, we love our security. But when it gets out of order, that's when that wretchedness sets in. And, and I think that Augustine was, was pointing to what Jesus is saying here, that when we make ourselves at home in God's love, when we love agape one another with that exact same love that we've experienced, that God's joy is in us. Not us trying to pull it up from the bootstraps, you know, to be happy, but God's love abides in us. I love all of this passage, but here is the rub for me, and I might be the rub for you because I've talked to some of you. <laughs> The thing that I find as, as uh, for, um, you know, serving here at Martha Bowman as the associate pastor, years before that, I've been a pastor's wife. Um, when, when someone often says, hey, can I, can, I, can I talk? You know, they call me, they text me, say, I, I've got an issue with something. I, I need you to pray. I need counsel. I need, and we talk. Here's the thing that I would say I hear 99.9999% of the time if, if, it's, if it's a relationship issue. The person says, you know what, because they're calling a pastor. They're, not, they're calling a pastor so they want the Jesus answer. So just let's, let's have a little background on that. But typically it's like my, my, my husband, my wife, my child, my mother, my coworker, my fill in the blank. There's some relationship that has gotten very, very hard. But here's the thing that they always say, I, I'm trying so hard. To love this person. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. I want to live into this passage right here, but they're struggling with actually living out the resurrection. Listen, I struggle with that. Mark and I struggled with that the day we were spatting over, you know, with the blinds up or down in the morning. It's a part of what it means to be human. So I am going to share with you in our last few minutes here just some practical tips that are, may or may not be, I don't, I don't have scripture and verse to go with any of them, but I'm calling these uh, Franz 5 Life Hacks for Life. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because if you know me well, you know, if you ever share with me a recipe, ladies, if you ever share with me your, one of your favorite recipes, and then I cook it, and then I really love it, whatever it is, then when I make that dish for somebody else, I never give you credit. <laughs> 
It is now my recipe. And it is now, and I'll write it on my card. But, but this is kind of so, I'm saying these are friends, life hacks for playing nice in the sandbox. They are not a one is original to me. And because I've been here almost five years, you've probably heard some of these before. But these are kind of the go-to things in my toolbox that I think help us practically day-to-day live out what Jesus is saying here about loving one another well. All right, so here's the first one. Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. Has, has he put it up? He's waiting. Drum roll, drum roll. What do you think it might be? Okay, it might be a little predictable. Is it's all about Jesus? <laughs> okay, that, oh, it didn't go up. All right, sorry. Uh, that's my fault because I didn't get my slides uh, to the tech team early enough. So I need to say, all right, so if you're taking notes, just take notes. The first one is, it is all about Jesus. Now, you would expect me to say that, wouldn't you? You would expect me to say that because it really is all about Jesus. If we don't start with that heart's desire to, to say and to do what he would have us do, then, then there's no need to go to two, three, four, and five. I, I don't know if I should tell. Okay, I will tell this story. But anyway, I'll, I'll tell this really quick. One time I was talking to a friend of mine. We were driving down the road, and y'all, she's a minister in a church. And so she was, we were driving past this person. There was a person's business there, and they had some farmland and everything. And, and the person had gone out of business. The land, you could tell, like thorns and stuff was growing up. It was like in middle Georgia. You know, should have been, you know, producing cotton or whatever the season, the time of the year was. But anyway, she said, you see that person over there? She said, they kind of, screwed us over in a land deal and she said and you know what i got so mad i prayed that god would curse their business and curse their land and look the guy's gone out of business she was happy about it and i just remember and i was expecting her to say and i feel so guilty i feel so bad i feel so and she didn't and i just remember i, I just looked my head spun and i thought i'm gonna take a few steps over because i don't want lightning to hit that side of the car and you know but uh, but that that surprised me because I think if we want to do two, three, four, and five here, we really do have to start with that desire and that want to agape love one another. All right, number two, assume the very best and positive motives and intentions from the other person. Just assume the best. They might be horrible, they might be wicked, they might be evil, they might be mean, but you just assume that that is not true. You assume the very best and that you just don't understand. There's just more to the story. And if you could understand more of the story, more of the background, more of where they're coming from, you might not agree with their position. You might not agree with what they're doing. But you could at least find some common ground. The greatest question, and I got this from Brene Brown, is, is this question right here that you can ask to kind of ease into the story. And it's this, uh, the story I'm making up in my head is, help me understand, you know, this behavior. So whatever it is, so, so here, you know, there's the event, there's the issue, there, whatever it is, there's the sparks. And it's like the story I'm making up in my head is, you're just mean and hateful and, no, don't say that. But anyway, the story I'm making up in my head is this, help me understand. But try to get behind, you know, what, what is the common ground? What's the intent of their heart? Try to find that positive piece. All right, number three, beware of the danger of a single story. Now, I took this from a TED Talk by the same title. Uh, won't go into all the details, but I loved this TED Talk and what the woman said. So I'm going to read this for you. She, she writes that the phrase single story is used to describe, and, she, and this is in her words, 
an overly simplistic and sometimes false perception that we form about an individual, a group of people. She said this, and this is what's so powerful, and it is impossible to truly engage with a person without engaging with all of the stories of that person. I love that. It's impossible to engage with a person, particularly someone you're having conflict with, without engaging with all of the stories of that person. If you don't, you have this danger of creating this caricature or this one-dimensional um, story about who this person is, where they're coming from, why, th what their motives are, why they're making the decisions. It's like when you see the iceberg, what's above the water is the behavior, but what's under the iceberg is all the stories, their whole being that they're bringing into this situation. All right, number four, honor your boundaries. Uh, if you've been around, read any self-help book, you have read about boundaries. Uh, Towson is his name, and he's got boundaries with teens, boundaries in your marriage, boundaries. Great author, recommend the read. But it's, it's just the idea of, of drawing healthy boundaries. One of the things that I find more often than not when one person is irritated with another, particularly in work and marriage for some reason, someone is irritated because they feel like they're doing more work than the other person. They feel how somehow they're picking up somebody else's slack, they're picking up somebody else's job duties, they're not being appreciated, they're not, and so they're irritated. And, and the simple solution is, we'll just draw a good boundary. Don't do the other person's work. Just do your work. Draw a good boundary. You know, you're irritated with your teenagers because they keep breaking curfew. Well, then they don't get to go out. You know what I'm saying? Just, just draw your boundary and, and don't get irritated because someone crossed a boundary that you didn't hold well. All right, so number five, and this is my all-time favorite, and it is expectations. Talk about them. They should be spoken, realistic, and agreed upon. The thing that Mark and I, I had an expectation, because we had had a conversation because I said I really like the blinds down in the morning. Have I got any blinds down in the morning, people? Oh, my gosh, I'm all about, I had one, two friends, two friends. Okay, the rest of y'all, blinds up. Everybody else, blind. well, y'all just aren't voting. Do y'all not have blinds in your bedroom? <laughs> All right, I'm a blind, blinds down kind of girl, first thing in the morning, kind of ease out of bed. But anyway, we had had a conversation about it, and I thought the agreement was that he was going to do it my way now. So then, you know, isn't that what you think? And so, no, he flips the blinds up, and I'm like, I thought we talked about this. And he said, well, yeah, we talked about it, but I didn't know that meant I had to do it. <laughs> and, and I said, you know what? This is classic. I said, I had an unrealistic expectation that me just dropping the hint was enough. So we need our, I needed to clarify my expectations. It needed to be spoken, not just this imaginary, you know, because he can't, I can't, Mark can't read my mind. Like, I don't know, husbands, does that ever bother you that you can't read your wife's minds? But he cannot read my mind. I heard an amen back there. Wouldn't raise your hand about the blinds, but I heard an amen on that one. But, but so it had to be spoken, and then it had to be agreed upon. We literally had to do some negotiating. Um, and, then, and it also has to be realistic. Like, I know one of the things I had to, to work through was it wasn't realistic to expect that all three of my adult daughters and their families would be home every Christmas. I had to let that one go. It's unrealistic. So agreed upon, spoken, and realistic. So, friends, life hacks of how we can, or you, listen, if you share these with somebody else, you just put your name in there, and it's okay. But anyway, these are life hacks. These are kind of those skills in the toolbox to live out the resurrection well as we are living and doing life in this shared space together.
our final verse here. Jesus ends this little section here, and he says, but remember, but remember the root command. The root command, what's underneath it all, everything grows from this, like a root, everything grows from this. Love one another, agape one another well. I think about uh, those earliest disciples. They struggled with this. I struggle with this. You probably struggle with this at times. But the good news is, I believe that as we abide in God's love, as we set our heart and our focus on Jesus, as we ask him to help us love well, then we become the light and, the, and we become, you know, his embodiment here in the world today. And I just am so incredibly proud of this church and who you are. And, I, and you know, people have asked us, Mark and I, I'll close with this, we recently went to the beach <clears throat> with another couple, and we were talking, and they said, well, what's it been like during the pandemic? And I said, I think that Martha Bowman is one of the most loving congregations that I've ever had the opportunity to be a part of. And I said, there were times when, when we did not all agree with the best way forward. Um, you know, we had folks who, you know, felt one way about masks, one way about masks, one way about vaccines. We went through the summer with the race riots and just, you know, a, a hard, you know, really hard political uh, season. I said, there's been so much that could have divided and torn us apart. And we always, we don't all think in, in, alike. And I said, but we found a way, I feel like, to, to love each other well, to respect each other, to hear both sides of every, every conversation. And then we, we cooperatively said, though I might not agree with that exactly, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what's best. And we were able to move together. And unlike, you know, in the book of Acts where it says that they so sharply disagreed that they parted ways, I'm just so grateful and so thankful for who you've been um, and pray that that has been a light and a witness um, to our world today.